Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God, the Father's Day edition. So today is Father's Day and I just wanted to say happy Father's Day to all of you. All you dads, all, all of you who've had dads and, uh, and our grandfathers now. I just want to wish you a wonderful day. I hope and pray that it would be incredible for you. So let me just open up with a quick prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for taking care of us. And I thank you for the opportunity to have as our example, the real father and who you are and what you're like. I just pray, Father, that you would guide us today, that we'd be even better dads today and grandfathers for those of us. And I just pray that we would bring you glory and honor and that we would emulate you and your glory and your kindness in some, some small way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> hey, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time with you um, on this because I know you've got things to do, places to go, food to eat, hopefully some fish to catch. I went yesterday and had a great day out on the water. It was a long day, though, I'll tell you, 130 miles. Um, but anyways, it was a fabulous day. And I just wanted to talk to you quickly about what it is to be a father and God the Father, who he is. And I was going through and reading some scriptures. And then I was reading some sayings. And here again, I'm going to turn to A.W. Tozer. One of the things that he says, and I'll just quote some of this because I think it's impactful. Satan's first attack upon the human race was a sly effort to destroy Eve's confidence in the kindness of God. Nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy conception of God. Certain sects, such as the Pharisees, while they held that God was stern and a steward, yet managed to maintain a fairly high level of external morality. But their righteousness was only outward. Inwardly, they were whitewashed tombs. Their wrong conception of God resulted in a wrong idea of worship. To a Pharisee, the service of, of God was a bondage which he did not love, but from which he could not escape without loss too great to bear. The God of the Pharisee was not a God was not a God easy to live with. So his religion became grim and hard and loveless. It had to be so, for our notion of God must always determine the quality of our religion. Much Christianity since the, the days of Christ's flesh has also been grim and severe. And the cause has been the same, an unworthy or inadequate view of God. Instinctively, we try to be like our God, and if he is conceived to be stern and exacting, so will we ourselves be. So God, the view of God in many, is a stern, unkind, and very strong disciplinarian, one who's angry and mad. From a failure to properly uh, understand God comes a world of unhappiness among good Christians even today. The Christian life is thought to be a glum, unrelieved, cross-carrying, under the eye of a stern father who expects much and excuses nothing. He's a steward, peevish, highly temperamental, and extremely hard to please. Oh, he is a steward, peevish, and highly temperamental, and extremely hard to please. The king of life, which springs out of such... Libelous notions must, of necessity, be but a parody of the true life in Christ. It is most important to our spiritual welfare that we hold in our minds always a right conception of God. 
if we think of him as cold and extracting, exacting, he shall find it impo- we shall find it impossible to love him, and our lives will be ridden with servile fear. If again we hold him to be kind and understanding, our whole lot, inner life will mirror that idea. <clears throat> the truth is, is that God is most winsome is the most winsome of all beings, and his service and his service one of unspeakable pleasure. He is all love, and those who trust him need never know anything but that love. He is just indeed, and he will not condone sin. But through the blood of his, the everlasting covenant, he is made to act towards us exactly as if we had never sinned. Toward the trusting sons of men, his mercy will always triumph over justice. Somebody once asked Mr. Dickens, so understanding that A.W. Tozer loved literature, Somebody asked Dickens what literature he thought had the most pathos. Oh, he said, there is no question. The story of the prodigal son. There is nothing like it in all literature. Who wrote that story? God. Who spoke it? The kindest man in all the world. When, I, when I'm reading through the scriptures and I come to that passage, there was a man who had two sons. Instinctively, I bow my head. Something in me wants to go down in obedience. Uh, I don't bad word for me before the heart that could think up that story so god the father what's our what's our view of him i i talk to people all the time and they tell me oh god is mean god is exacting he's tough he's brutal oh well yeah those those people in the old testament he just killed them all that's what that's what i hear a lot but Really, let's think about let's think about the the parable of the lost son. There were there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, "Give me my share of the estate." So he divided his property between them. He didn't hesitate. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth. After he had spent everything there, he uh, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So the son made a really dumb decision. The father gave him exactly what he asked for. He gave him exactly what he asked for. And then eventually the son came around, and in verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called, your, be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. <clears throat> so this is an example of God. He sees us long way off that we're repenting that we're coming humbly and he celebrates he gave us what we asked for even though it wasn't the best choice it's still it's freedom it's will right it's our will and we reached made a decision bad one asked for what we had could got it and then squandered it and wasted it and what does the father in heaven do he looks for us and he sees us from a long ways off 
and he runs to us. He moves to us. How did he do that? He did it through Jesus Christ, who he allowed to be murdered and killed for our sins, to take them away from us because he loves us, and to get rid of that sin so that we never see them, so that he never sees them in us again. Again, our, our sins of yesterday, today, and tomorrow are already forgiven. We have a God who celebrates. When we come back to him, he puts rings on our fingers. He puts a robe around us, and he celebrates. He parties like crazy. And those who come to him and say, hey, I've never left. I've never left you, and you've never given me anything great. You never killed a fatted calf for me. He then tells them, like the older brother, and he tells them, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So your father in heaven celebrates. He's thrilled. He's so happy. In the Garden of Eden, he used to walk with Adam and Eve. With Paul and the early disciples and the Christians and Christians today, he celebrates with us. He walks with us and he talks to us. It's not through some mundane or some, I don't know, um, mystical level. He talks to us if we listen, if we hear him, and if we reach out to him. These are the words of Jesus. They're the words of the Bible, so they're true. God loves you. He's your father. And as, as a child of his, I am so grateful I have everything that he has in store and made available to me. And I just pray as a father and a grandfather, I could be that example of who God is each and every day. Y'all, you fathers out there, thank you. I thank you for being great, great dads, great men. Even when when we think we failed, when we've let people down, we've still been good men. We've get up off our feet, off our backs, and we move forward. So today I honor you. And I honor God. Father, I thank you for this day. I pray that you would empower each and every one of these people, these men, that they would be wonderful fathers, that they would look at your example, the joy in which they, li- they can live because you live in joy. You found a way to forgive all of our sins to never even see them or consider them again. And I just pray that we would look at our children the same way, our grandchildren's, and that we would live in a, in a state of joy because we know You are our Father. I just lift them up. I pray for them. I pray for your hand to be upon them, your wisdom to fill their their minds, and your love and kindness to fill their hearts so they can share with their families. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and his Journey Back to God, the Father's Day edition. Take care.